Today, let's talk about decentralized finance or DeFi, what it means for you, how you can use it, what's good about it, what's bad about it, and a lot more. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Crypto Bobby. I hope you are having a great day, great night, wherever you are watching or listening in from. And yes, today, let's talk about DeFi. It's something that has been discussed, I think, quite a bit for really all of, of 2019, especially in the Ethereum ecosystem. But there's also kind of some growing chatter around the Bitcoin community. A lot of that is skepticism. Uh, a lot of that is is not in a positive way. But I do think it is really important to just look at what the DeFi world is kind of conjuring up right now. There are some really cool products, some really cool platforms that we'll dive into. And we can talk about kind of how you might be able to utilize them as a investor in the ecosystem or as a trader. And we'll also talk about some of the bad components because there are definitely some things within DeFi that um, are not ideal or are not ideal yet and that you would want to you know, be concerned with as well. So a number of different things. And, and just as far as this video goes to, I'm trying to do some more tutorial style videos and get back into that rather than just the kind of daily, the price goes up, the price goes down stuff. So a little bit more, I think, educational type content in nature. If you like these types of videos and you've been around the channel for a while, if you like these types of videos, let me know in the comments or if you're listening on the podcast, let me know on Twitter. If you don't like them, let me know. And if you're new to the channel by any chance, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well. Before we hop into today's episode, I want to talk to you about my friends over at NetSuite. Look, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem that growing businesses have, and I've found this myself, that keeps them from knowing their numbers is the hodgepodge of business systems. You got one system for accounting, you have one system for sales, another system for inventory. It's a big inefficient mess when it comes down to managing your business and it's taking way too much time, way too many resources, and it hurts your bottom line. Well, look no further than NetSuite by Oracle. It is the business management software system that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform that gives you the visibility across business lines that you need to grow. And with NetSuite, you save time, money, and those unneeded headaches by managing your sales, your finance, your accounting, orders, HR instantly, right from your desktop, from your phone, anywhere with the cloud. And that's why it is the number one business management cloud system. So if you go right now, NetSuite is offering valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash Bobby. That's netsuite.com slash B-O-B-B-Y to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits, netsuite.com slash B-O-B-B-Y. Let's hop into it. We'll dive into it right now and we'll we'll talk about it. So what is is DeFi in the first place? What is is decentralized finance? Well, it's really oversimplifying things. And DeFi is is kind of a term that I think was was actually branded uh, or created by a company, Dharma or Project Dharma, which is a of a loan platform in the Ethereum space. And what DeFi is is essentially decentralized finance. You're taking components of the traditional financial ecosystem, and you are quote unquote decentralizing them. Now, I, I, I do want to give a pretty big caveat to this off the top, is that a lot of a lot of decentralization in just the crypto world in general, it's it's kind of a buzzword slapped onto everything. In many cases, most of these products have significant elements of centralization 
really the term is better off as like non-custodial finance, but that's not sexy. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't get the juices flowing for anybody. Nobody, you know, nobody wants to talk about non-custodial. They want to talk about decentralization because it's way sexier. But in reality, most of these, most of these products and tools that we're going to look at uh, in the DeFi space are non-custodial, meaning that you still hold the keys, you still hold your cryptocurrency, um, and they leverage smart contract technology to enable, rather than having a trusted intermediary like a bank, rather than having a financial institution or a third party kind of in the middle of a transaction, you're removing that third party for the most part, and you're replacing that with a smart contract. And this is mostly done right now on Ethereum. There are other uh, smart contract platforms out there, obviously, uh, and some have tried to kind of hijack the DeFi meme. Shout out to you, Justin Sun, uh, Dare to DeFi. Some have tried to, to hijack the DeFi meme a little bit, but most of the work really in the in the quote-unquote DeFi space is still being done on Ethereum. But looking at a high level, again, what is it? You're taking traditional elements of the financial system, things like banking, things like loans, things like earning interest, things like trading, and you're removing the middleman out of it. You're replacing that middleman with a smart contract. And the problem, though, with decentralization or quote-unquote decentralization is there is still most likely a company behind it. There is still somebody there that's actually developing that smart contract. So there are still elements of centralization in general that you'd want to be you know, kind of concerned with. But looking at the DeFi space, one of the websites you can go to, it's, it's called DeFiPulse.com. And this goes to show the amount of, of money that is quote-unquote locked up in USD uh, within the DeFi ecosystem. So a lot of people argue about what that actually means and, and the success of it, but this is a good place to go just in general to see um, the kind of a, some of the mo more popular products in the space and what's happening. If you're familiar with, with DeFi or just the crypto ecosystem at all, the most popular product or platform project in the DeFi space is, is by far Maker or MakerDAO. MKR is the token that they have. You might have heard of the token if you haven't heard of Maker. But Maker right now has over $270 million locked up in what are called CDPs or collateralized debt positions. And CDPs are one of the biggest things that kind of kicked off the, the ecosystem as a whole. I've done an entire video on CDPs in the past, so I'll link to that below. So if you're curious about what a CDP is, um, I can definitely provide more insight in that video so you can check that one out as well. But with CDPs, kind of the big thing is you are collateralizing. It's a collateralized debt position, which means that you are putting money in and you are able to take actually money out of that. So in a, in a very, very oversimplified example, if I have 10 ETH, which is right now, let's say about $2,000. If I have 10 ETH and I want to take out a loan uh, for my 10 ETH, what I can do is I can put that 10 ETH into a CDP. So I put essentially the equivalent of $2,000 into a CDP and I can take, let's say $200 uh, out of that as a free or as a loan. And then I can pay interest on that over time. And with that, you get that money out and die. So for anybody not familiar with die, die is a stable coin that is very heavily involved within the uh, DeFi ecosystem because of the, the construct of maker. But I have a full video that shows the entire process of me opening up a CDP. One caveat with that, when I created the video, the stability fear, the interest rate 
of, of opening up a maker CDP and holding a maker CDP was less than a percent. Uh, now that's over 20%. So a lot of people have looked elsewhere. And that's also why a lot of these other products that you're seeing here projects have um, kind of grown in the past few months, because uh, paying 20% annually to borrow money is is not really the wisest choice when there are other alternatives out there. So looking at this, there are a couple different things, I think, when you look at DeFi and when you're thinking about DeFi in general, um, things that you can do. So number one, you can borrow money. So if you have some money, you can actually, if you want to, to borrow money, if you want to take out a loan, you can actually do that in the DeFi space. The one thing that is important when you're borrowing money is most of the time it is over collateralized, meaning that you actually have to put in money to take out money. Uh, and you have to reach a certain level of collateralization. And if you go below that, you actually might have your, your loan liquidated. It's not the same as like a personal unsecured loan. So if I were to go to a bank and I want to take out a $30,000 loan because I want to pay for something, whatever it might be, they're going to run my credit check. They're going to do a bunch of other things. They're going to make sure I'm actually capable of paying back that loan with a lot of the, the borrowing that happens in the DeFi ecosystem rather than non-collateralized loans like I just mentioned where they're, they're running a credit score. There isn't a universal credit score in the DeFi ecosystem yet. Hopefully we'll get there at some point in time, but there isn't a universal credit score in the DeFi ecosystem at this point in time. So rather than running somebody's credit score, the way that they do that is they make you put up money so that in case you don't pay your loan back at some point in time, they basically just take that, uh, they take that level of collateral that you have and they go on their merry way. So one thing you can do, again, you can borrow money. The second thing you do, you can actually supply money. So if you want to earn interest, you can put money into a pool or you know, lend it to somebody else essentially and earn money back. And we'll get into kind of all of that. So two big things you can do and, and two of the most common things you can do uh, is borrowing money and then supplying money to earn some type of an interest rate. In addition to that, uh, you can also trade now in the DeFi space. One of the cooler products out there, well, DYDX, we'll hop into it a little bit, but DYDX allows you to trade margin trading uh, or to to do margin trading, essentially. It's kind of like a BitMEX that's non-custodial. So you can open up positions, long, short Ethereum, and in the future, other, you know, other assets as well, but right now, mostly ETH. And you can long and short Ethereum directly from a MetaMask wallet, which is pretty cool. Uh, there's also some other kind of components that I think are, are interesting and worth getting into, such as token sets. These are really cool and starting to take off a little bit. Um, and then also, too, within the DeFi space, you have the disintermediation. I think that's really the big thing you want to focus on is, is removing the intermediaries from this. So like a cool product that that AirSwap built, you have a uh, OTC trades where smart contracts kind of serve in the middle and act as the escrow in the middle. And so that nobody has to send crypto first. Um, you both send your assets to a smart contract after you both pre-agreed to a rate and you go on your merry way. So a lot of different things to, to hop into, but one of the best places to start when you're looking at the DeFi ecosystem and if it's something you want to participate in, uh, loanscan.io is great. It's just an aggregator uh, for the different types of things you can do within the within the, the quote-unquote DeFi space. And again, if you want to earn interest, you can do so. 
and you can see what ha you can see how you can earn interest and the types of assets you can earn interest on. So, for example, right now, if I have uh, if I have Dai, which is the stable coin that I mentioned, and I want to earn interest on Dai, um, I can actually lend that Dai to Compound Finance, and I'll make eleven percent a year. So, a lot of people do that. And if you go over to Compound Finance, I'll do that right now. If you go over to Compound Finance, there's actually at this point in time, you have $36 million of dye that is deposited on compound finance that people are earning interest on. So people are earning 11% interest on an annual basis, and that fluctuates and adjusts based upon demand. But people are earning 36, uh, people have already supplied $36 million into this dye pool. And then people on the other end of the spectrum have borrowed $27 million worth. So you have a supply and demand, and that also adjusts the rate. If you were alternatively, if you were looking to to borrow die, it would cost you sixteen percent interest a year to borrow that uh, that die. So you can go through, and it's always worth with like loan scan. It's always worth going through if you're looking to either borrow or sell. You know, checking for competitive rates. If you wanted to, uh, you know, if you wanted to lend die right now and and earn money on it you would be better off going to compound finance than you would be to DYDX because with compound finance, you earn 11.2%. With DYDX, you only earn 10%. So there's there's different variations out there uh, that you can see and determine you know, kind of where, where the best rates might be for you. And again, those fluctuate over time. At this point, you might be wondering why is, is supplying uh, and borrowing money through DeFi, why is that interesting? Why is that cool? Well, I think it's really cool and I think it's interesting because it is a way to interact with a almost like a traditional banking system without having to do a variety of aspects, without having to KYC, without having to get approved by somebody, you know, depending upon whatever your background is, regardless of where you live, the location you're at, it doesn't necessarily matter. It really does open up things to a like a, a global audience of participation. Now, it's it's pretty. I mean, it's also you can think about some of the some of the impacts that this could have if this were to be in the long run somewhat more adopted. Because let's say somebody in a developing nation needs you know needs access to a a stable asset, and they'd also like to perhaps earn interest on that. They could theoretically utilize something like compound finance. They could theoretically use something like. Uh, Nuo or a variety of these other tools out there to earn 10% interest on their money with something like DAI or with something like USDC and receive a stable store of value in comparison to maybe the a rapidly inflationary local currency and also make money from it. Now, that's not to say that the, the process, the big I think the big thing, at least in my mind, is number one, it's not easy for the average person perhaps to use MetaMask and that is what is required for most things is to utilize a Web3 wallet. So number one, there are some barriers there with utilizing MetaMask, utilizing uh, just kind of the, the overall Web3 ecosystem as a whole uh, that make it a little bit harder for perhaps the average person in, in a developing country to utilize. Also, you have to think about the on-ramps as well. You know, how, how possible is it for somebody to within their local currency to take their local currency and immediately change that into something like ETH, which they can then trade to to die and then supply that on compound finance or on 
Celsius or on Nexo or whatever it might be. There are a lot of different um, there are a lot of different kind of variables there that make it difficult for the onboarding process. But you can see the potential a little bit where with Compound, with DYDX, with Nuo, with these with these projects out there. Now, there is nobody that is approving or denying loans based upon whether you live in Argentina or Iran or China or the U.S. It doesn't necessarily matter at all. It's just can you participate within the ecosystem through your your wallet, and that's that's about it. So, pretty fascinating stuff on that end. And then more to the point of of speculation, and this is is DYDX. And I'm not going to lie, most of the, I, I think it's it's important to note that most of the the work in the DYDX, or excuse me, in the DeFi space does support speculation. When you're looking at the, and when you're looking at the industry as a whole, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever it might be, most things are, cryptocurrency is a speculative asset right now. And people are, especially in the DeFi space, most most of the time people are just leveraging up more on Ethereum or they're leveraging up more on other assets and they're trying to just pull out money to, to kind of buy in more. So it is a case of leverage. DYDX is very simple in what they're doing though. And it's a fantastic product. It's a really cool tool where if you, let's say you want to, to trade ETH and you want to long it or short it, um, you can margin trade with uh, up to 4x leverage. You could also do uh, custom leverage as well, but you could do uh, up to 4x leverage or one and a half x, whatever it might be. You can buy it uh, for long or or short positions. And again, there is no you know there's no KYC, there's no access, uh, there's no restrictions as far as kind of where you're at or, or who you are or what you might be doing. You know, all you need is a MetaMask address to participate within this trading ecosystem. And I think that is is really awesome. It makes a huge difference to people that want to participate in trading but might not have access to something like, let's say, BitMEX because where they live. Now, again, there is a you know a project, there is a company behind this. So how decentralized, quote unquote, is it? It's mostly a, you know, it's a non-custodial margin trading tool. But the fact that it's non-custodial, I think is pretty, pretty damn awesome and pretty cool. Um, so I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on that in general. And then in addition to just kind of the continued process around speculation, again, a lot of the work that the DeFi space is doing is it is decentralized in the fact that they're not necessarily restricting people to, to participate, but there are companies behind them. There are people actually building these products out, but they are, again, non-custodial. You're utilizing your own wallet. You're not storing money on an exchange. You're not storing money with a third party. Uh, one of the cooler things now is uh, token sets. And this is from a, a team set protocol. And what they're doing is kind of giving people access to simplified exposure with these these individualized tokens. So rather than um, rather than like let's say you want to follow somebody or you want to follow a a trader that uh, is trading the moving averages on Ethereum. Right now, here's an example with token sets. They have a specific token that tracks the 20-day moving average of Ethereum. And depending upon what happens with that 20-day moving average is depending upon the cross the crossovers of that 20-day moving average, they will either buy ETH or they will sell that ETH into USDC and they will sit in USD. So they are trade they're the 
the company essentially the, the token itself is is actively trading based upon the 20-day moving averages but all you need to do to participate in that is own the token itself and the value of the token will will correlate upwards or downwards depending upon how successful that strategy is and interestingly enough that 20-day moving average token is actually outperformed holding eth in the near term now they also have other types of range bound sets and things like uh weighted tokens as well so maybe you have a bunch of eth and you think that ethereum is is not performing well against bitcoin but you're too lazy to send that to an exchange and you have it all in a hardware wallet and you want to hold on to it for a long time well you can actually buy a token set that they have here what that is uh weighted 75% Bitcoin, 25% Ethereum. So if Bitcoin continues to go up and Ethereum goes down, at least you are have your 75% weighted now in Bitcoin because of that token set. So you can think about a lot of different things and, and different applications that this might have for the average trader as well. Um, and something that I think is, is really growing and starting to grow in popularity and something I would keep my eye on if you are interested in just the, the DeFi ecosystem and the decentralized ecosystem as a whole. And then with that too, you're starting to see a lot of just the, the removal of, of those intermediaries. Like I said before, uh, this is a, a cool tool that I was happy that the team at AirSwap built out. So it is a, it's called AirSwap Trader. Um, and basically what you have is a system where you can have and conduct an OTC trade, an over-the-counter trade. So if, if I want to trade with you, if I want to trade 100 die with you, and I want to get 0.5 ETH uh, for that, I can specify the details of this trade. I can say, hey, this is gonna expire in an hour, and then I can click just create this trade. And then from there, I can sign I can sign that, and anybody else, either anybody else in the world, or I can specify the Ethereum address of the taker of that trade. And the cool part about this is, with OTC trades in particular, there's always there's typically a counterparty risk. So if I'm trading with you and I have the hundred e I have the hundred die and I want to get 0.5 ETH back, somebody typically has to send first, and I might send you that 100 die because I think I trust you. But maybe you're a bad actor and you just take that 100 die and you say, hey, I'm not sending my 0.5 ETH. Screw you. And there goes my money, and that's a problem, right? The other alternative is maybe you can use an escrow service, but typically that escrow service is going to cost you money. So what happens in this scenario? You can use uh, smart contracts in the middle of that. So when I send that 100 die now with this AirSwap trading tool, when I send 100 die, that actually goes into a smart contract. And that smart contract has the parameters of, okay, I am sending 100 die. This trade will not complete until the other party sends me 0.5 ETH. Once that other party sends me 0.5 ETH, I'll get the 0.5 ETH. That smart contract will disperse the 100 die to that person. And also, if this expires, if, if I set an expiration date, if that person sends the 0.5 ETH after the expiration date, it doesn't matter. The, the, the contract is null and void. So there is no counterparty risk to that because you're, uh, you're going to get your money back if they don't complete the parameters of the trade which is, I think, really interesting and, and really cool in the long run. Now, that also brings up a, a point that the entire DeFi ecosystem as a whole kind of deals with too, and that is, is smart contract issues per se. So smart contracts are 
really the crux of decentralized finance. When we're looking at, I'll pull this up here. When we're looking at what happens with DeFi, you are removing the intermediary and throwing in code. That's great, right? Code is law. That's a fantastic thing. You know, you can't, <laughs> code is law, right? That's that's kind of the, the, the basis of it. Now, what happens though, if there is a, problem with the code maybe the software engineer access you know maybe the, the the development team maybe the engineering team messed something up maybe they didn't realize there was a bug what happens then well a variety of things can happen there have been numerous uh there have been numerous occasions where money has been locked up money has been frozen money has been hacked and there have been issues with that where you know you have these bugs that have occurred and because quote unquote code is law, things can't be necessarily undone uh, unless maybe a company reaches, you know, that company reaches out to the hacker and offers them some type of incentive or bounty, whatever it might be. But there have been cases in the case of Parity. Uh, Parity was a, a very popular multi-sig wallet on Ethereum, and a developer put out a pretty simple call, DevOps uh, 199, I believe, or 1099, DevOps 1099 put out a, a very simple kill switch call to the parity multi-sig contract and the developers forgot to disable that call from people that were not internal developers and basically what this guy did was killed an a multi-sig wallet for all the people that had their money in it and there were a lot of people that were utilizing that wallet to the tune of like over a few hundred million dollars and that money is still stuck to this day because that person executed on a smart contract and froze the wallets for eternity and unless ethereum unless the ethereum kind of core developers end up rolling that back that money is going to forever be sitting in a uh you know in those wallets untouchable essentially from everybody else so why do why do i talk about what that why is that important well smart contract insurance is something that in the DeFi space is going to be important moving forward there is probably going to be a time where a a big bug happens and it's already happened like i said parity wallet was the parity multi-sig bug was like hundreds of millions of dollars but that was before the DeFi ecosystem kind of stuff in general and that necessarily wasn't involving the ecosystem that was just a a, a popular uh, a popular wallet solution for a lot of a lot of people out there but within this you know, within this ecosystem the ability to have insurance i do think is going to be important because i don't think humans are infallible and you know, smart contracts are great code is law is great but mistakes can happen and there are still lacks of audits and things like that you that you want to be concerned with and so there are companies now nexus mutual is one of them uh, it's a little bit complicated in nature, but you can buy coverage of your smart contract. So you can basically buy insurance on money you have invested, like let's say in a CDP, you have a massive collateralized debt position where you've taken some money out. What happens if there's a bug with MakerDAO? Well, if there's a bug with MakerDAO, you're probably screwed, right? Well, what happens if you have insurance on that? Maybe you get uh, you can kind of file an insurance claim and get your money back because you paid for insurance. That's what Nexus Mutual is trying to do. And that's what I think some other companies are trying to do as well. I do think that uh, there, you know, kind of needs to be some continual improvements in the space on this, but something to to really kind of look at when you're evaluating the DeFi ecosystem in general is that, um, you know, you have removed 
a human element, manually speaking at least, and humans have now put in smart contracts that have replaced things. Humans mess up quite a bit, and you want to be concerned with that in the long run. So you know, with this video and, and just kind of this podcast in general, I, I wanted to walk you through, I think, my thoughts on the DeFi ecosystem and, and what things mean for you and, and how you can play around with these tools. What would I recommend you do if you are interested, if you've watched this whole thing, if you, you've listened to this whole thing? One of the coolest products out there, in my opinion, and none of this video is sponsored for you skeptical bastards out there. Um, but one of the things I would recommend you do is check out Compound Finance. Compound Finance is, is really great. And this is even for like when you have Bitcoin maximalists. And again, I never have anything against anybody. Um, if you have a Bitcoin maximalist who is like DeFi is the dumbest thing on the planet and I hate you and I hate it. Um, I would just say, have you used compound finance? Have you maybe traded on DYDX? What I would recommend somebody do is I'd recommend I'd give them 50 bucks. I'd give them 100 bucks, whatever it is. And I'd say, hey, try out using compound finance. And why would I say that? So in this case, a week ago on August 8th, I actually supplied $50 worth of DAI. So I supplied 50 DAI to compound finance. Over that time, I've actually earned... 10 cents in interest. So it pays out on a continual basis. And as of the time of, of recording this, I'll earn 11% APR. So over the next 365 days, give or take, I'll probably earn about five bucks. Now, you can obviously extrapolate that. If that was $50,000, I'd earn a little over, you know, I'd earn a little over $5,000 in interest. And I do think that the experience of using something like compound finance is something that will open up the eyes of a lot of people. And I would recommend trying it out. You can be the biggest skeptic, but use it and see what your thoughts are. See if it's something that you think is is warranted around the hype, or if you think it's a you know, centralized whatever. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter. That's kind of my point. There is just if you are a skeptic, try it out. Try it out with ten bucks. Try it out with five bucks. Try it out with fifty bucks. I don't care. If you need help with it, let me know. But hopefully this video and just this this discussion, this podcast was was informative for you on what's happening in the DeFi space right now uh, and helps to kind of shine a little bit of the light uh, on what's happening there and, and how you can better just be acquainted with things. If you enjoyed this video again, uh, let me know. I would love to hear if you like these types of videos and discussions, uh, just talking about different ecosystem projects and kind of how you can get involved with things and, and test them out and try them out. If you didn't like it, also great. Would love to hear that in the comments and I can always kind of adjust things in the long run. But thank you so much for your time. If you're new to the channel by any chance, make sure to subscribe. Uh, and if you enjoyed this video, hit that thumbs up button, hit that like button. Crypto Bobby signing out. Hope you have a good one. Peace.